0: Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate.
1: And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back.
0: Today you'll learn about how using gas stoves has caused a huge uptick in childhood asthma, how motor memory is developed while we sleep, and how scientists are working to save the larvae of coral reefs.
1: Without further ado let's satisfy some curiosity. You know, childhood asthma can actually be caused by a lot of things like allergies and pets or even genetics, but it was actually recently discovered that nearly 13% of all childhood asthma is caused by gas stoves.
0: <laughs> I, I think I was expecting you to say something like secondhand smoke there, not, you know, the range where you cook dinner.
1: Yeah, so 12.7% of childhood asthma is caused by secondhand smoke same percentage oh. for gas burning stoves.
0: All right, that's the weird. Break this down for me. Where where is mm-hmm. this information coming from? How do we know how do we learn this?
1: It was discovered in a study recently published in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. They found that nearly 650 thousand cases of childhood asthma were linked to gas stove exposure. So gas stoves are used in about 35% of U.S. households, but they can emit significant amounts of nitrogen dioxide, which is a pollutant that can trigger asthma and a number of other respiratory conditions. Gas stoves can also leak methane even when they're not being used, which is a very powerful gas that contributes to global warming. One researcher kind of compared it to having a car exhaust slowly being pumped into your house every single day.
0: That sounds terrible, And Mm -hmm. also, like, it would—I mean, that sounds like it'd probably be a little worse than a gas stove, but (laughs) still bad. Uh, How did they discover this? Like, Like, we've had gas stoves in houses for a while. You'd think we would have caught on to this faster, so what clued us in?
1: I mean, you'd think, but interestingly, they used census data. Specifically, 2019 data that helped them correlate the proportion of children exposed to pollution from gas stoves. Sadly, an overwhelming number of children with asthma who lived with a gas stove were from families of color in low-income neighborhoods. Black or Hispanic children are twice as likely as white children to be hospitalized for asthma, and poor households are more likely to have smaller kitchens that lack proper ventilation. The toxic combination, and one that gas companies are pushing back against, it's the stove.
0: Uh, At least it's good that the gas companies know about it.
1: They are denying all of it. Of course. Yeah. The American Gas Association, a powerful trade group that represents the U.S. natural gas industry, slammed the study's findings. They accused the authors of pursuing a headline-grabbing approach and told the Washington Post the claims are driven by advocacy-based modeling and were not sound science.
0: Okay. What did the researchers say? Back to them.
1: Researchers pointed to a previous 2013 analysis that showed gas stoves can cause asthma, but it's amplified when combined with tobacco smoke, pets, mold, and or water damage. Whether the American Gas Association agrees with the findings or not, changes are coming due to the findings of this study and similar studies.
0: Like what? Are we going to make gas not be toxic anymore?
1: Well, like, the Consumer Product Safety Commission recently decided to implement new regulations on indoor air pollution from gas stoves. Commissioner Richard Trumka, Jr. of the Consumer Product Safety Commission, or... CPSC recently said that an outright ban on new gas stoves is a real possibility, even though the CPSC doesn't currently regulate any indoor pollutants.
0: Why not? I know
1: it. They I, I, I don't know. That. <laughs> Activists have been pleading with them for decades to take this up, but until recently, it's entirely fallen on deaf ears. As the evidence continues to pile up, it becomes more and more likely that gas burners are bad for the environment, bad for people, and just really bad in general, which I hate because I love cooking on these things. but
0: It's really nice.
1: At the same time, it's not likely that lower-income families are going to be able to afford replacing their gas burners themselves. But if they become banned, one possible solution is some kind of tax credit for families to replace their stoves. That said, if you're in the market for a stove now, even though it might not seem as great, maybe consider going electric.
0: There are some tasks I've done that I feel like I've repeated so much that I could do them in my sleep. And that's actually pretty interesting because it turns out motor memory is developed through sleep.
1: As your friend, that was kind of a concerning sentence because I know the hobbies you have. And knife making isn't really something you should be attempting with your eyes closed.
0: (laughs) No, not that one.
1: Okay, okay, tell me more.
0: It was discovered recently that our brains subconsciously review trials and errors of any given action we performed throughout the day. For example, a daily drive. Every time you get somewhere on the quickest route with the least amount of traffic, our brains process those memories by weeding out every inessential detail and focusing on only what was correct.
1: Okay, well, what can be done different on a drive? You're following rules and stuff. What What can you change?
0: All right, well, think about all of the shortcuts you take in your day-to-day life, whether it's driving or in some other action. Once you discover a shorter route to save time, you usually start driving that route every time to the point where... If you take another way, it feels wrong in your body. That's the development of motor memory, and it comes from your brain deciding that shortcut felt like success.
1: Okay, following. This makes sense. But where does sleep come in?
0: This is called the locking-in process, and it's surprisingly complex. We're talking multiple memories being shared back and forth between different parts of your brain. Some are related to direct memory, some to motor memory, and some to other subconscious parts of your brain. Because of how taxing the whole process is, locking in happens during that really deep restorative kind of sleep we can have, which is known as non-REM sleep. And being asleep is especially important because conscious brains tend to focus more on the failures rather than the successes.
1: Are you saying that when I'm asleep, I'm not as hyperfixated on all the mistakes I made throughout the day?
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Brains cool. become a bit more anthropological at night. They're more curious about the bigger picture of our day and how all the little moments made that day up.
1: But how does this all relate to the motor cortex in our brains? Because I've heard once that learning motor skills relied only on the motor cortex.
0: Well, that's where the concept gets a bit more complicated because that was widely believed science until recently. Researchers did a study that sent rats out in search for pellets, and when they went to sleep, they examined the rats' brains in three spots. The hippocampus, which is the region responsible for memory and navigation, the motor cortex, and the prefrontal cortex. After 13 days, they found that the process for developing motor memory was actually multiple processes.
1: Awesome. I think I'm following so far.
0: So the first process saw the prefrontal cortex work closely with the hippocampus, which enabled the rat to perceive or remember its movement. During this phase, the brain seemed to be exploring and comparing all the actions and patterns created while practicing the task. Second, in a process called slow learning, the prefrontal cortex appeared to make judgments based on the risk versus the reward of each path taken when the task was successful. And this created a sort of crosstalk, which turned down the signals related to failures and turned up the signals related to successes.
1: Okay, and that's what makes motor memory?
0: No, but it created the path for the final process. As electrical activity of each brain region became synchronized, the role of the hippocampus diminished, and the instances that the brain noted as rewarding came to the front, where they were stored in what we call motor memory.
1: Huh. Okay, that sounds complicated, but also really chaotic.
0: Uh, It it definitely is. (laughs) When rats were learning pellet retrieval tasks, their brainwaves were noisy and disorganized in line with how chaotic the process actually is. But as time went on, signals started synchronizing and the rats started succeeding 70 or more percent of the time. From that point on, their brains seem to ignore mistakes and maintain motor memory as long as their level of success stayed stable.
1: Let me pose a hypothetical here. What if you took the rat out of the cage and put him in, say, like, your car? Would motor memory still work in that
0: instance? Uh, no, because the environment and task itself has changed at that point. Certain tasks will transfer between environments, and even certain muscle memories will apply for different tasks. But you're talking about asking if a rat can find a pellet in my car, which is an entirely different learning curve. Too much of a change. Even slight changes to the rat's pellet task would see an increase in both mistakes made and noise in brain activity.
1: That actually makes a lot of sense. What's the takeaway here?
0: We need to sleep a lot better. Uh, All these processes happen when we're asleep, so if you're in the process of trying to develop a skill or improve motor memory in general, getting a solid night's sleep will help you make sense of the chaos your body needs to subconsciously work it out.
1: All right. We have talked a lot about how devastating climate change is for natural wonders like Australia's Great Barrier Reef. But it's amazing that people have found ways to save them. And today, there's actually a brand new method to save the Barrier Reef that could even save other reefs around the world.
0: Oh, cool. Because a lot of the time we do all these stories about like there's a little doom and gloom to them. And it kind of kills yeah. off some optimism but it sounds like you've got kind of the opposite so so help me regain my lost optimism by explaining how we can save the barrier reef
1: you got it so this is actually yes a a more positive story this is talking about cryogenic freezing, which itself isn't new. This is the act of using refrigerants like liquid nitrogen or solid carbon dioxide directly on the surface of whatever you want to freeze. So scientists tasked with saving the reef have found ways not only to freeze coral larvae, but store them. And one day, the reef destroyed through climate change could be regrown again.
0: Okay. So we're not just freezing Walt Disney's head to bring him back. That's good. Got a use for it. All right. What has climate change done to the reef that would require the use of cryogenics? Like I know global warming and cryogenics is Mm -hmm. cooling, but I don't think it's pouring cold water into the ocean or something.
1: No, not quite. Uh, Well, we all know that climate change has led to the ocean temperatures rising annually at incredibly unsustainable levels. But what I didn't know until this study came out was that the reef has suffered from four bleaching events in just seven years. Uh,
0: When you say bleaching event, this is not spilling Clorox into the ocean. No,
1: no, no. So this is actually kind of fascinating. So coral is a living creature. And when coral gets stressed due to changes in conditions like Through extreme temperature change, they expel algae that lives in their tissue, which causes them to turn completely white. And without the algae, the reef becomes highly susceptible to disease and can die within days.
0: Oof, that sounds... Pretty rough, and and this is the thing that we think we can help with.
1: We think we can, yes. So we've had four mass bleaching events happen in seven years, which means the Great Barrier Reef has been dying much faster than usual. Which also means scientists have been scrambling to prevent the destabilization of the reef. But in December of 2022, scientists made breakthrough in cryogenics using sophisticated equipment outfitted with lasers known as cryomesh.
0: Ooh, that sounds cryomesh. Sounds. Sounds stylish. <laughs>
1: it's not really not. It's really not neat. <laughs> so this is actually just a. Are you done?
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cryo-mesh. One more. So,
1: yeah, you got it. So cryomesh is a just a stainless steel mesh strip oh. that's meant to withstand extreme temperatures near absolute zero. Specifically, it freezes them to a temperature of negative 196 degrees Celsius or negative 320.8 degrees Fahrenheit. So how it works is scientists extract the coral larva from the reef, wrap it in cryomesh, freeze it, and this is helpful because it can make sure that the coral can maintain its biodiversity in the future.
0: Okay, do they know that the cryomesh is going to work because I know there is an existing issue of thawing things out that have been cryogenically frozen. Does that apply to coral as well?
1: Okay, so what you're actually talking about is cryonics, which is the science behind freezing humans or really any larger organic tissue and thawing it out later. With cryogenic freezing and particularly anything using... Cryomesh, as you put it, yeah. the problem doesn't apply due to scale. See, the thawing process creates ice crystals when a specimen thaws, which can damage the tissue and render organs completely unusable. With smaller tissue samples of, say, a small piece of coral reef, that damage is less likely to occur. So, for example, before this trial, they used cryomesh on smaller and larger varieties of Hawaiian corals and were successfully able to freeze then thaw the smaller varieties.
0: Hmm, what happened with the larger ones?
1: Okay, so like I said, size matters <laughs> in this uh, case. The larger variety trial failed because of the same problem we face freezing humans. There's just no way to safely freeze, and then thaw larger specimens quite
0: yet. Okay, so we can preserve these specimens with freezing the little ones. Mm-hmm. So the solution here is freezing small But thinking big.
1: (laughs) Yeah, okay, exactly. Researchers do believe that the new technology will allow us to save the world at a scale that can actually help sustain aquatic restoration projects all over the planet. So even if sample sizes are small, the effects are going to be huge.
0: Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up.
1: The biggest causes of childhood asthma are pollutants, genetics, pests, and gas stoves. A recent study found that nearly 13% of all childhood asthma cases in the U.S. were directly caused by daily exposure to a gas stove, whether it was running or not. Solutions aren't yet in place to fix this catastrophe, but government agencies are finally in talks to ban the production of new gas stoves. So if you're in the market for a new stove, maybe consider going electric.
0: Have you ever wondered how motor memory is formed? Turns out it's through a good night of sleep. The process in which motor memory is developed is long, chaotic, and noisy, consisting of crosstalk between multiple parts of your brain. But without the distraction of conscious anxiety, a good night's rest will work motor memory out for you with ease.
1: Because of climate change, natural wonders like the Great Barrier Reef are dying, but new advancements in science might be able to help us reverse some of that effect, and maybe even end it for good. Australian scientists have invented cryomesh, a sort of metal strip that can successfully freeze and preserve coral algae for generations so that one day the reef can be revived.
0: Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery.
1: You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we would love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts.